The Bible reading today is taken from Mark 10, uh, 13 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, It's great to see everyone here, and those on Zoom as well. Uh, We resume our our series on Mark's Gospel uh, today, and that will take us all the way to Easter. So why don't we uh, pray as we resume our study of Mark. Um, uh, Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a wonderful and gracious and generous God. We thank you that you are in control, uh, that Putin isn't in control, that President Xi isn't in control, that not even Biden or Scott Morrison. Father, with the conflict that is happening in Ukraine, we pray that you'll continue to help us uh, to be calling out to you that as the God of peace, that you will restore peace in Europe. And that you cause all of us to long for the day that Christ returns, who will bring everlasting peace. And so, Father, as we come to your word now, as we resume our study of the Gospel of Mark, may we clearly see Jesus as the promised Messiah, as your appointed king of your kingdom, and that we may be like little children, so that we may belong to the everlasting kingdom. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please have your uh, Bibles open. Uh, we're going to um, uh, look at Mark chapter 10. Uh, now, there's a little uh, book uh, written by Bill Adler called Dear Pastor. The book contains a lot of letters written by children to uh, pastors. Arnold, age eight, uh, wrote, Dear Pastor, I know God loves everybody, but he never met my sister. Uh, A ten-year-old called Tom wrote these words, Dear Pastor, if God gives everybody brains, I think he forgot about my best friend Mary. And Annette, age nine, said, Dear Pastor, my mother is very religious. She goes to play bingo church every week, even if she has a cold. Uh, If you've ever met, uh, had a kid or been a teacher, uh, then you know that children say all kinds of stuff like this, don't they? They don't uh, try to be politically correct. They don't worry about finding the right words. They speak their mind. What you see is what you get. Now, today, as we continue our series on Mark's Gospel from last year, last year we covered the first nine chapters, from the baptism of Jesus to the uh, uh, transfiguration of Jesus. That is, from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry Uh, to the glory of Jesus that's to come. And the reason why we stop there is because uh, chapter 8, verse 31 is like a hinge in Mark's gospel, leading up to chapter 8. Everyone's trying to work out, and we're trying to work out as we read Mark's gospel, who is Jesus? Uh, At the snap of his finger, he heals the sick, raises the dead, calms the storm, exercises demons, feeds the thousands, and of course the Anglican's favorite miracle of all, turning water into wine. So it becomes very clear that Jesus isn't any ordinary man. 
but the Son of Man. So chapter 8, verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after the three days rise again. His disciples had hoped that Jesus would become the military king that they want. But Jesus makes it very clear that he's the servant king they need. He's not going to cause suffering and destruction. Instead, he must suffer and be rejected. He's not going to kill and destroy like Putin. He must be killed and rise again. He will suffer and die, but he'll also be raised to life and be glorified. That's why the transfiguration of Jesus happens directly after Jesus' first prediction of his death. The suffering of the Messiah won't be the end of the story. Glory will follow suffering. The resurrection will follow the cross. You see, friends, we don't follow dead leaders like Muhammad or Buddha, nor do we worship dead people like our ancestors. We follow a Messiah who laid down his life for us and worship the Son of God who was raised to glory. And so as we resume our series on Mark, we resume knowing that Jesus is the, Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. And the path he takes to become the king of the kingdom of God is the path of the cross. And now from chapter 9 to the end of the gospel, chapter 16, we follow Jesus to Jerusalem to do what he came to do. And if we forget what that is, Mark reminds us two more times in chapter 9, verse 31, and then chapter 10, verse 33. He says to his disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he'll rise again. Jesus predicts his death and resurrection three times in in a matter of a couple chapters. And so it leaves us with no ambiguity at all who Jesus is and why he came. He is the Son of Man the king of the kingdom of God who will lay down his life for those who belong to the kingdom of God. And so the question we're left asking as Jesus heads to Jerusalem is this. Who can belong to his kingdom? If the path of the king is suffering and death, then what must we do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Now the answer is multifaceted, isn't it? We've already seen that those who belong to the kingdom are also those who carry their cross and follow him. And then later in chapter 10, Jesus talks to a rich young ruler about it. And the point he makes there is that you have to give up your idols. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, for the rich young ruler, he had to give up his wealth, his idol. You must give up everything to follow Jesus alone. You can't have idols. And then at the end of chapter 10, just before Jesus enters Jerusalem, he heals a blind man, Bartimaeus. And the point he makes there is that you need to have faith. Without faith, Bartimaeus wouldn't have been healed. And without faith, we won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And so those who belong to the kingdom of God have to give up their idols, must have faith in Jesus. And in today's passage, we're given another perspective. And the point is this. The kingdom of God only belongs to those who are like little children. But what does Jesus mean by this? Well, let's now turn to today's passage. So Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. And on the way there, he reaches the region of Judea, across the Jordan. 
And he's teaching there. Some people are, are, are there with their kids, with their children, little children, and they want to bring them to Jesus so that Jesus might place his hands on them and bless them. Uh, chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. Now, this wasn't unusual. It was pretty common. Parents often wanted uh, rabbis to bless their children, uh, particularly when they were little infants. And it still happens today. Uh, even amongst Christians, uh, parents of newborns uh, often appreciate uh, being able to bring their kids to pastors and ministers so that they might receive a blessing. Now, for some reason, the disciples didn't like it. Uh, they rebuked the parents, uh, which seems quite stern, quite harsh almost, and, and try to stop the kids from getting close to Jesus. Uh, so verse 13 again, but the disciples rebuked them, rebuked the parents. Now, the words little children here... Uh, mean that these kids were very young or infants, uh, like a really young toddler or baby, like baby Theo. Uh, and so you have parents carrying their newborn babies in, in, uh, to Jesus. Uh, and the disciples effectively stand in the way to stop them, to tell them off, to tell them to go away. Now that seems strange, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, if Jesus was a politician on his campaign trail, the disciples would have lapped it up. It would have been a wonderful photo op. Uh, if Jesus was running an appeal to raise money for homeless children, the disciples would have taken photos to promote the cause. But Jesus was on a mission, and the disciples didn't like the kids getting in the way. He was heading to Jerusalem to die, and the disciples didn't like Jesus going to die. And so why did the disciples rebuke the parents and turn the babies away? Well, it could be because Jesus was busy. And the disciples were protecting his time. Or it could be because the disciples were jealous and wanted Jesus all for himself, for themselves. Or more likely than not, it was because they thought Jesus had better things to do than to waste time blessing babies. You see, the culture of the time didn't value children, just as it didn't value women. Jesus really turned the world upside down. Being a child was almost a necessary evil, an unavoidable interim between birth and adulthood from being a useless little kid to being a useful adult to society and to your family. And so the disciples rebuked the parents because they didn't think that the babies were worth Jesus' precious time. They didn't deserve his blessing, as it were. But look at how Jesus responds to the disciples. Verse 14, Jesus saw this. He was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. The disciples try to stop the little children, but Jesus welcomes the little children. The disciples were callous, but Jesus was compassionate. The disciples' reaction affirmed the culture of the day, but Jesus' response challenges the culture of the day. And like all good teachers, Jesus doesn't let the opportunity go to waste. He uses that as an opportunity to teach and to make a point. So verse 14. He says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. And so we now have our answer, don't we? Who can enter the kingdom of God? Those like little children. Uh, who belongs to the kingdom of God? Those like little children. But what does Jesus mean? Uh, now, some might say that it's, it's to be as innocent as a child. And my guess is that 
Those who think that have never had anything to do with children. Uh, I used to help out uh, looking uh, with creche. Uh, and time and time again, I had to remind the kids uh, to share and not snatch, uh, to stop fighting and to be kind and to even separate kids from one end of the room to another. In fact, I've got to found a great summary it's, uh, of what toddlers are like. Uh, it's called a toddler's rule of possession. I wonder whether you can relate to this. Uh, so a toddler would say, if I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like, if it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw first, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. You see, children, even the youngest of them all, are all naturally selfish and self-centered like the rest of us. Uh, they might look innocent, especially when they make their puppy face to melt your heart. But at the center of their core, even little children are self-centered like the rest of us adults. Uh, that's what King David confessed and recognized in himself after his affair with Bathsheba in Psalm 51. He says in verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So if Jesus isn't saying we need to be innocent like children because children aren't innocent, then what does Jesus mean? What does it mean to be a child to belong to the kingdom of heaven? Well, some others would say that it's to have childlike faith. You know, when you teach children the Bible, they just simply believe, don't they? Uh, they don't ask too many questions. Uh, they believe what you tell them. And so when you tell them the story of creation, they believe. You tell them the story of uh, Moses and the parting of the Red Sea, they believe. Uh, Daniel and the lion's den, they believe. Jonah and the whale, they believe. And the resurrection of Jesus. But then they object and they stop and they get out their calculator, the biology book, they open it up and they say, according to my calculations, that's not possible. No, they don't do that, do they? They, they ask you, well, will my cat be in heaven too? And we all know the answer to that question, don't we? It's no. Cats aren't going to be in heaven. But if you had a dog, the dog would be. Because cats don't belong in heaven, but dogs do. So, so is Jesus saying that God's kingdom is made up of people who have childlike faith, who are essentially gullible, who, who, who just don't ask too many questions, believe what they're told, they have no intellect, they don't have blind faith? Well, it's not, is it? Jesus' parable of the four soils in Mark chapter 4, just a couple chapters earlier, makes that pretty clear. Lots of he people hear the gospel appear to believe the gospel, but only those who keep believing, keep persevering despite the worries of the world, the persecutions that might come, will enter the kingdom of God. Children can be gullible, they can be naive, but that's not what we must be like to enter the kingdom of God. And so what does it mean? If, people, if being like children doesn't mean being innocent, since none of us are, not even the cutest little baby. And if being like the little children doesn't mean having childlike faith, then what does it mean to be like a child? Well, the other day we decided to get Domino's for dinner. Uh, Evie came with me. Uh, unfortunately, she's not here. She's uh, ill at home. She came with me to pick up the pizza. And when we got there, they asked us to uh, pay for the pizza. And so Evie pushes me aside and says, I'll pay. 
She rips out her Hello Kitty purse, opens it up, gets her Amex, gives it to the service guy, and pays for pizza for the family. Maddie's giggling because she knows that that wouldn't have happened, and it certainly didn't happen even though it would have been wonderful. You see, Evie would have, wouldn't have thought of paying for dinner. Uh, it wouldn't have crossed her mind to pay for dinner because that's what children are like. They depend on their parents, they need their parents to provide for them, and they almost take it for granted that that's what parents do, isn't it? Isn't it, kids? Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> and so, and so since, um, since Evie didn't pay for it, when I got home, I gave Kylie the invoice to get her to pay for it. No, I'm only kidding. We, we, we share all our bank accounts, so it wouldn't have made a difference. You see, kids eat free all the time. No questions asked. And, you, and it's out of the joy and the love of the parents that they, they pay for everything. And, and, and it's even clearer with infants and babies, isn't it? I'm sure you can ask Z and Carissa afterwards. Um, babies are so helpless that without milk, they'll die. But their parents, as parents, you, you'd wake up in the middle of the night to feed them joyfully, sometimes really tired, sometimes not joyfully, but you do it anyway, right? <laughs> you give them milk. You don't ask for payment. You don't say, hey, 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 little one, where's your Amex? I've got my square stingy magic here. But their parents, parents will feed their kids joyfully, even though the kids can't pay, even though babies can't afford anything, even though they have no job, no salary, no bank account, no degrees to their name, nothing. They're completely dependent on their parents, yet, yet they're loved. They're fed, they're clothed, they're sheltered because they're showered with grace. And grace is what they need, undeserved love and attention and affection. Everything they need is given to them free of charge. Kids need grace and kids know that they live by grace. And that's what Jesus is saying. We can't pretend we're innocent because we're not. If we, weren't innocent, uh, if we weren't innocent when we were kids, how much less innocent are we now that we've lived many, many years of our lives? And so we have to come to Jesus with our wart and all. There's nothing we can do, nothing we can offer to God because Jesus has already paid the bill, as it were, not with money, but with his blood. Our debt is paid, we're forgiven by our Heavenly Father. You see, the passage in Mark 10 isn't so much about little children, as it is about adults. Because the people who can understand what Jesus is saying aren't the babies, but the adults that are surrounding them. The people who are following Jesus were the crowds, the Pharisees, the disciples, and in the very next passage is the young rich ruler. And Jesus is speaking to them, not to the children. Jesus simply uses the little children to make a point. And so when the Pharisees hear this and the religious people hear this, it would have been a huge rebuke to them. It would have rubbed them the wrong way because all their lives they've been working to be good. They've been trying their best to keep the rules. They've been performing the rituals to please God so that they might enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus is saying you can't earn your place in the kingdom of God. It can't be bought. You have nothing to offer. You need to come like a baby. Don't come with your credentials and righteousness. Come to me with your empty hands, with nothing in your hands you bring. Come to me to pay the bill, to pay the bill with the nails 
pierced hands. And then you have others in the crowd who are naive. They, they hear Jesus' teaching. They're full of joy. Maybe that was Judas Iscariot when he was picked to be a disciple of Jesus. But when trouble or persecution comes and they fall away, when the worries of this world come and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come and choke the word, they fall away. And Jesus is saying, you can't be naive to enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't just believe that I died on the cross for you. You must also carry your cross and follow me. You see, the kingdom of God isn't filled with innocent people or naive people, but people who come to Jesus like little children, small and powerless, no credits, no clout, no claims, with absolutely nothing to offer and nothing in their hands to give, no wallet or purse to pay the bill, only a cry for mercy so that Jesus will pay the bill for them. Heaven is not made up of people who deserve to be there, but of those who don't deserve to be there. We have received the grace of God and live by grace every day. And so, friends, today as a church, we come to Jesus and let him pay the bill. Together we come to Jesus and rejoice in him and worship him and obey him, for he is our king and we belong to his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Amen.